Welcome to Upgrade Engines with Scott Wozniak, where we explore the tools and tactics that drive improvement. If you're hungry for more and better, if you want to move past hype and discuss how, you're in the right place. Change really is possible. Dreams can come true. It may take a while, but you can upgrade anything if you build the right engine. For this episode, I brought a friend. My guest today is Jonathan Crabb. Jonathan Crabb is a strategy leader, technologist, and futurist with more than 20 years of experience. Jonathan has had the most experience in retail spaces, particularly in the post-purchase domain, along with large-scale program management. Outside of full-time work, Jonathan has pursued a variety of challenges, including writing a book on existential crisis, providing futurist direction to organizations, and challenging individuals and groups to improve mindset and practices. Jonathan is an avid reader, a huge Rome research user, and a big Disney World theme park fan. He has been married to his wife, Leanne, for about 20 years, and he has three kids, ages 17, 14, and 12. You can find him on Twitter at Jonathan B. Crab. That's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-B-C-R-A-B-B. All right, so Jonathan, there are a ton of things we could talk about. Dude, there are a ton of things we have talked about, and we've known each other for 24, 25 years, something Many like years. 23, Many maybe. Years. So, so maybe the story of our meeting could be a whole other episode. Um, Indeed. It was, uh, let's just say Jonathan was pretty much convinced that, that I was a jerk and he should never hang out with me again. So oh, we've all grown. We've all yes, grown. We have. yes, we have. No, just, just to give Jonathan credit, uh, there, there were reasons that he thought that, but Thankfully, we gave me another shot. And then I say that because then we started really reconnecting. I mean, we were kind of around each other, a lot of mutual friends, but we really got reconnecting. We did a lunch and I'm pretty sure lunch lasted like four hours. It was a long lunch. Yeah, it was intense. It was intense. So, okay. Of all the fun things we could talk about, the one I think I want to dive into first is honestly, it's because one of the things I am most impressed with you it, it, there's lots of things I love about you as a friend and you've made my life, uh, inspired me and we've laughed and you challenged me and all that good stuff. But dude, there's one that I just keep coming back to. And like, I, I don't know that I know anybody who, who can keep up with you in this area. And it is your learning how much you grow and change the, the raw amount of ideas you process, but then how you translate them back into your life. And like, you are a world-class exceptional learner who just keeps getting better and better and better. And I don't mean like, Hey, every five years, you know, I think I can see some growth in this guy. It's like, dude, like you just radically overhauled your life last year and you're going to do it again this year. And the fourth year, like, Holy cow, how do you, so this is what I got to get into. Like, where did that come from? And how do you do that, man? I mean, let's start there. Were you always like the aggressive learner kid who was always trying new things and growing and, reshaping your life. I mean, it, where did this start? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a lot of interesting kind of components to it, right? It's not it's not one single thing. You know, my parents always for some odd reason when, when I was born, my parents said the one thing that they hoped for me is they hoped that I would read a lot, which seems like a funny thing there's, to wish. A lot of things parents wish for their kids. I bet you that's not on the top 10. But they, and they as I was growing up, they said that, you know, fairly frequently. So, you know, as a kid, I was, I was definitely a reader, you know, I, 
I think I read Chronicles of Narnia quite a few times. I read Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe like probably 10 times. It was those 80s paperback versions. Yes, yes. Well, and this is, you got to take us back, right? Because for for younger or newer listeners, right? Dude, this is um, way before you could just go online and get books. Oh, sure. I mean, you were gifted books for Christmas or you were like... And what you had in the house is what you had to read. So if you wanted to read something... And like you read all 70 books in the house or even 20 books or like, then guess what? Pick another one, buddy. And, and it's funny, even as you bring that up. So my parents, my parents were missionaries. So we lived overseas and and we traveled a lot and that kind of thing. So there probably was exposure to different mindsets, different ideas growing up, right? Naturally in the environment I grew up in. But it's funny you bring up, you know, in a non-Amazon world, in a non-Kindle world, you basically grew read what you get your hands on. And it really takes me back to, you know, visiting, you know, some of my parents, coworkers, where else, because I would always end up in their library. Like I would always yes. end up like looking over like what books do they have? And, you know, back then it was also your kid or your teenager, you're also just looking for the cool covers and, oh yeah. Know, and all that kind of stuff. But I think well, I, I was, I often interrupt just say, I totally remember because there was one of my friends, only one of them who his parents let him collect comics. And yeah. Like, oh, I got to get to his house. And I honestly may or may not have been that good of a friend to him because I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm not here to play with you. I'm here for your comics. Buddy. Right, right, right. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I remember all those, those. That definitely brings back a lot of uh, cool memories from childhood. So, I mean, I think I was always a reader. I would say that. I think that in a lot of ways, early on in my life, I was reading um, you know, a lot of nonfiction and a lot of fantasy. We've we've talked and kind of reminisced on how, even though we are, I would say, avid, some would even say elite readers just on the measure of books that we read. Um, I still still have a passion for fiction. I still yes. have a passion for um, stuff that they would say, hey, that seems silly that you would get it. And it's at the end of the day, one of the interesting asides is that some of the, I would say, the greatest epiphanies in my life have come from fiction. Even though I have read a large amount of nonfiction and it's very good, some of the real insights do come from narrative, you know, hero's journey, those kind of things. Yeah, I, so I I can totally relate to that. I I mean, I'd say on the when I talk to my clients about this, I will often say, hey, if you really need to develop emotional intelligence, right, social skills, you can read a technical book about it. That's cool. I'm telling you, you need to read a great novel. Right. And story will suck you into somebody's mind and heart and you'll come out having lived a year in their world inside their eyes. And it's like, oh, I, you could have you could have spelled that out in bullet points and charts for me and told me the social studies science behind it. But it's not the same as actually like going through the arc of their life narratively. There's power in that. And I think the other interesting thing about that, and, we'll, and I think we've kind of we've already rabbit trailed a bit into our love of reading. Well, bring um, it. This is place yourself, everybody. This is this is how Jonathan and I work. As rabbit trail off a of rabbit trail. The beauty is we just keep taking like you know twenty degree left turns, and at some point we come back. We will come back. back. It's a, so I think a run I think rabbit run. I think what's great about also, and I've and I've coming to you know I'm I'm the generation right between Gen X and Millennial, so we're Xennials or whatever. But I think the other fantastic thing about reading fiction is, especially when you've been reading for a very long time, and I, you know this works for nonfiction, this works for religious texts, this works for fiction. I think that it's also the book doesn't change, you do. So, for instance, I read Dune when I was young. And I enjoyed it. It's a fun book. It's an there's, amazing book. There's a I lot of it. adventure. Yes. I was a, 
Gosh, I read that one too. I think I've probably been about 14 or 15. Right. Somewhere around there. Because it's not, it's a, it's a chunky book. It's not, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not a, it's simple not a kid's book. reader. No, no pictures. But, but now reading it as a 30-year-old or reading it as a 40-year-old, all of a sudden there is the book hasn't changed, you have. And there are just, I think the better part of wisdom, the better part of knowledge building, if we are talking about that, is continuing to be hungry, even for the text and things that you had known before, coming back to those texts and saying, hey, is there something more? Am I ready to consume or learn from this text? Stuff, just lessons that I wasn't able to learn before. And so much so like, I mean, there have even things where, you know, I mean, it's probably say the book, you know, I, I come from a Christian faith background. There's, it's just been interesting, like some very, some parts of the Bible that everyone has read a hundred times, you come back in your mid forties and you're like, there's this verse sitting in there and you're like, that verse was not there for the first 30 years. <laughs> right. Like, like it's it's new. And, and I mean, no, no. so much, so much so that I've gone back to like high school, Bibles that I had in high school and college just to check to see if the verses in there. And sure enough, it, and sure enough, it's there. Like it's the the things before are like highlighted or underlined before and highlighted underlined after. Yeah, like, this had no value for me, right? It's sitting right there. Just oh, wait. That's just hilarious. Wait. So yeah. I mean I, I think that 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 works for I mean that works for religious text, but I think it very much works for fiction as well, in the sense that oh. that's what's neat about reading and learning is that. Learning is such a multi-generational, multi-phasic way of doing things that, you know, it's sad enough when people don't learn, but it's even, but so not only are you missing out on any learning at all, but then there's like a wider, greater horizon of learning for saying, Hey, keep, keep at it. Like the more you can do it, the better. Mm. So, so, so let's get this, like you're go back to the story. You're, yep. you're reading, you're reading kind of whatever mom and dad throw around, whatever you can grab in a friend's library. You, you, you're just, it's been spoken over you. I mean, I, I'm going to pause it. That's an interesting thing it's for your parents to say that in essence about your origin story, right? right? I think all people, all organizations, all countries, if you have a clear identity and culture, Part of that is an origin story, right? I mean, companies tell origin stories. And if they can't, and I'll tell you a little something about what the culture isn't, right? They don't have cohesion. Nations have an origin story. And how you tell those stories in many ways sets the tone for the rest of the culture and the, the flow, right? Um, That's right? So so I say that to say this is kind of your parents telling you this is your origin story. Yeah. Right? I mean, like you're it, given to us, our family. And our one prayer for you is that you would be a reader right, above right. all else. Like, right. and just, and it's like repeatedly speak that over you. So I'm curious, I, I don't know if you want to go here or not, yeah. but I know you have a sister. So yeah. they speak the same thing. Like, is this a family no. thing or is this like, no, just, no, for whatever reason, they're like, we hope Jonathan's a, a reader. And, and it was just, it was odd because it was probably said, said to me most when I was a kid. And so I'm like, uh, whatever. Let me get back to my uh, choose your own adventure book. Let me get yeah, back yeah, to my yeah. Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Like whatever, parents. And, you know. And I don't think so. Wait, was this like a complaint or like a oh look at Jonathan? He's reading. We always said he'd be a reader. You know, like, it, it. No, I think it was more kind of. You know, my parents. I think it was just more that they would remark like they'd be like, "Man, you're reading a lot right now." And th- and I was like, "Yeah, just okay." So I this like it, and they would be like, "You know, it's doing... funny because we prayed for that." Yes, right. They're not. Criticize. This is not the the pressure of like I always wished you were no. go read something. No, no, no. Actually, interesting. It's the other way around. It's like I see a behavior, and now I'm going to to highlight it, 
affirm it, validate it. Um, Okay, so I'm tangent off a tangent, right? Uh, The rabbit trail fun here. There's a fascinating article I read a while ago, and I'm trying to remember the exact name, but it's basically was an exotic animals trainer who said how I use my exotic animal training skills to train my husband. And so (laughs) it's fascinating, right? Um, It's hilarious. There's a ton of wonderful sarcasm in the article that's good. However, there was a deep, profound thing because she said, listen, let, let me explain. She's an exotic animal trainer, works with like dolphins and killer whales or, or right. orcas, I guess is the, the modern, more polite way of calling them. They, um, sure. All that kind of tigers. I mean, the kind of fun stuff like this, like how do you train? She goes, listen, this is the key. This isn't like your little puppy. You, you don't reach over and, you know, pop him on the nose with the newsletter or like grab him and stuff him in his cage and say, no, no, no. Sure. Like, you don't grab a dolphin and stuff it in a cage. Like if the dolphin doesn't want to come, you're not catching it, um, sure. not, not in a training pool. Sure. And so how do you get these animals that you can't punish? Mm. So she said, the key is they have a whole training method that has no punishment. Now I'm not saying punishment has no place. It's a whole other, as a whole other podcast, maybe we'll uh, riff on punishment and good and bad uses of it. Maybe. But she said the way they do exotic animal training. And by the way, I'm actually not an exotic animal trainer. And so she (laughs) could, I could be totally misrepresenting the class here, but this is the article I read. She said, the way you do it is if they do what you don't want, you just completely ignore them. Hmm. Like you don't even make eye contact. She's talked about her husband. Like when her husband doesn't uh, clean up the dishes, she's like, she doesn't acknowledge his presence in those moments, like pretends it's not in the room. But then when he puts one dish away, so with exactly what you do is whenever they do anything that gets them a step closer to what you want, yeah. they're like, oh, oh, look, you did that. Here's a fish. Right. Right. And you're like, oh, you swam near the hoop. Here's a fish. Right. You, you, okay. And after a little while we stop and then you swam like even you got right next, you bumped the hoop. Here's a fish. Yeah. And like piece by piece until the dolphin will swim, jump out of the air, go through the hoop, do a flip and land all for a fish. No punishment involved. Just like, sure. oh, oh, I see that behavior. Here's a fish. And yeah. it's like your parents were like, saw you reading and were like, oh, oh, here's a fish. Oh, right. here's a fish. Keep reading. And it sunk into your memory. It's a part of your self-concept is like, well, my parents always wished I would be a reader. Uh, right. And well, and it's funny. Like, I don't think that they ever, I mean, so they never really rewarded me for it. They just saw me reading and went like, oh yeah, like we really hope that for you. And I was like, great. Will you buy me more books or something? It's like, you know, there's no, there's no money for that. So let's go over to (laughs) our friend's house and you can like raid their books. So I was, you know, reading, I'm reading, I'm using the word reward broadly, right? There's no (laughs) cash. There's no chocolate. Right. 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 But, but I'm, I mean, it's for, especially for children, positive affirmation from your parents. It's big. I mean, that's, that's not nothing. There's, sure. there's something there. People do a lot of things to get mom and dad say, I'm a proud of you. I mean, there are men and women who 50 years later, mom and dad it. are dead and they are still killing themselves to accomplish something Yep. so that maybe dad would have been proud. Yep. So there's something there. Okay. So, so then let's move on. So in, but where it we... feels like it's more um, reactive, like there's books around, I read them or, or like you go to high school, you go to college, are you pursuing books constantly? So, so here's kind of the journey of it because there is sort of a journey. So, you know, I was a kid who was very curious and I was very interested in, I think early on, and this became much more prominent later in life, mm. um, even in the last couple of years where I'm very interested in all sides of the story. 
So, you know, I would read things that would be like way off the beaten path. And then I'd read mainstream things and whatever else. And is this, we didn't talk about this earlier, but is this, I'm, I'm guessing some of this is maybe wiring or what, but some of this has to be like the uh, going and living in another culture yeah. makes you realize like, oh, there's, there's not only one way of seeing and work living in the world. Right. So, I mean, there's definitely some of that. And then you also just, you know, I think it's, it's kind of a, you would go, no, duh, that kind of makes sense. But also when your parents work with people who are all from all over the world, all over from the United States, mm. their libraries are going to have a vastly different library set than if you lived in a suburb in the United States. If you yeah. live in a suburb of the United States, it's going to be like, you know, the bestsellers list, the Tom Clancy's. Yep. Yep. Especially back then, game. right? Like the bookstores like, had limited supply. We all right. bought off the same set. Yeah. Right. So I was exposed to probably a wider range of concepts, but I always read. I mean, I got into, I look back, I got into some really strange things. Like I was really into, this is kind of hilarious and embarrassing. I got really into in high school, I was really into um, how rock and roll is functionally all satanic, which it, <laughs> so, so there was a, there's, there was this phase for the people who don't know, there was this phase of, of, the Christian evangelical world, like in the eighties, yeah, this, this kind of subset of, of American Christians who, oh, man, it was, oh, it was hardcore. Man. And now, not, and now I listen to all the, the music now, not, not the most proud moment. No, no, no. But, but I think it speaks to you still being curious and like wanting to read, 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 read. And so then I went to college, went to, went to a small uh, private Christian school and they encourage reading, obviously. I mean, it's, college, so higher education, but also, you know, they encouraged me to dig deeper into, you know, religious texts, but also just, I really started falling in love with, you know, my Western Civ course. Like they're like, oh, you know, here's some classics of Western Civ. Like in high school, I read the Scarlet Letter and got a ton out of it. In college, I did a Western Civ class and, you know, read War and Peace and read The Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky and read The Idiot. And, And then like I was assigned like, oh, here's an excerpt from the brothers Karamazov. That's like maybe 30 pages. I'm like, I'm going to go read that whole book. And so then I would go read the whole book. So I think I fell in love with more of the classics, harder books and stretched my muscles, if you will, from reading perspective. But the big thing that happened in college is I primarily was locked into being right. So one of the themes in my life was wanting to be right. And I wanted to build a knowledge base for myself to be able to justify in my own head being right. And um, I think that drove a lot of my reading and a lot of a lot of the things that I did in those times. And you know, that was definitely a phase. So yeah. then now let's start fast forwarding to my life now. So my life now, yeah. I've, you know, the better part of wisdom is knowing how little you know. Yes. You know, so so um now I have I've been disabused of the always being right. Um <laughs> Maybe that comes with age or maybe that comes, with, I don't know what it comes with, but I've given up the desire to be right, but I haven't certainly given up the desire to read and to get smarter. And so, you know, all through can college. I, can I pause and unpack that a little? Because yeah. you said, I was expecting you to say, I've given up the belief or the assumption that I'm right. But you didn't say that. You said, I'm giving up the desire to be right. Right. Now that's because... Because I really was expecting like, well, I mean, I still always want to be right, but oh, well, dang it. I have I have reluctantly acknowledged that I may not be right, but man, I wish I could still be right about everything. I, I need you to unpack that. I mean, am I nitpicking at a word that, that mm. isn't really applicable or is there like, is that a real difference to you? No, I think it, mean, it makes a lot of difference to me. So 
I probably wouldn't have been able to, to say a lot of this, um, you know, five years ago. But the, the beauty of, I would say, the age that we're in right now, um, you know, my early 40s, is that thanks mostly to reading and learning is that I have started reading books that have given me proper boundaries and boxes to put some of my behaviors in uh, um, yeah. so that I understand better. And one of the most helpful things I think that really relates to this whole question of being a learner is there's a book by Julia Galef named The Scout Mindset. And, mm. and in it, she talks about this archetype of two types of people. And this archetype is mirrored in a lot of different places I could throw out even more like the Isaiah Berlin did the hedgehog and the fox. Yeah. Yeah. Very similar things. Some people would say generalist and specialist, but at the core of the idea, uh, Gayless idea on scout mindset is that there are two types of mindset people in the world. There's the soldier mindset who mm. typically will take a certain specialization, take a certain thing that they want to be good at, yeah. and then they'll specialize on that. And when they specialize on it, what typically happens is they start wanting to become very right and that because they're the expert and that's what their that's what their mentality that's what their self image is based on like i am the expert in this area and then what they do is they continue to you know go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper on that yeah and and uh, you know if i'm going to play with your metaphor right as a soldier right they're going to set up a fort and they're going to start putting foundations right. and deep establishments and the walls go up and the the bunkers start getting built and everything starts uh, camping and That's reinforcing right. their area of expertise. That's right. And then when someone has an idea that doesn't agree with theirs, well, that's the enemy. Like they are attacking yes. their force. Yes. They not only do they have to, not only are they building the walls high, so the ability for other insights to come in, it just gets more and more difficult to gain outside insights. But not only do they not want to gain outside insights, they want to, they actively resist it. They have to fight it. They have to destroy those insights. Yeah. And I think in some ways that was my early life. Like my early life was I took in college, I took like a particular strain of XYZ and said, oh, I'm going to be a soldier. Yeah. Ironically, though, I think it was counter my nature. And eventually I kind of broke free of it. In the, so in the mindset, so that was soldier mindset. Scout mindset is this other mindset, you know, whether it's a generalist or whatever else, is that instead of having a fort and building the walls high and becoming yeah. a super expert in one area... The way Galef talks about it in her book is she says that the scout's objective is to draw a map of reality. And huh. then and then as if someone, if you know a particular area, mm-hmm. then you're very knowledgeable about that area. But someone comes and says, hey, you understand you're wrong about this, that, or the other. As a scout, I am not at all threatened by that. In fact, I am delighted by that person coming and telling me because my map just got more fine. I maybe had to erase a little bit and redraw parts. Yeah, but, yeah. But the that ability is progress and and benefit, right. not threat. Right. So so that's kind of the progression of mentality. But now let's kind of you know get back to the upgrade engine, if you will, of what that means. So what I do now, and this is kind of I think the reason why we're talking about this. So I read quite a lot. Um, you know, but actually, before we get into all the the how you do this. Yep. Can you just like how did that shift happen? You went from yep. soldier who, who, if I could put it in other words, right? Um, mm-hmm. So maybe wrong here, but like it, because I've done this as so projecting warning, right? I'm going to project my journey here. Sure. It's like my identity was tangled up in, I like myself because I'm right about these things, right? To yep. 
to like, no, I could be totally wrong about that. And it no longer threatens my identity. Like this isn't a minor tweak yeah. of, of mindset. Like where did that, how did that happen? How did you go from soldier <laughs> in the fort to scout running the edges? Right. right. So, so I had an existential crisis. Oh, okay. Uh, I had an existential crisis. Minor, and, yeah. Easy peasy. And, right. And, yeah. and, uh, and, and I, uh, to the extent that I wanted to die at times quite okay. literally, like and a, like and, a legit, you know, that's not a hyperbole. Like, no, legit, no, I, what's I, the point of my life? What's yes. the point of existence? Maybe uh, it's worth it. Yes, it was one of those. And in that, you really get to, okay, let's reconsider. Like, if I had to start all over mm. and I could rebuild this from literally rip the foundations and start over, what would I do? Mm. And And that process was... I would not recommend it to people. <laughs> if you can avoid existential crisis, by all means, please. Right. Good, you. I'll, I'll take that as a practical yes. tip, right? Not, not, don't, not the best path. I, I mean, I would say, would I, I would go through it again to gain that. Uh, the life is richer post existential wow. crisis. I, yes. wouldn't, I wouldn't undo it. I have but, to say, um, jokes aside, that is such, it, it's one of those fascinating questions that I wrestle with because I, I don't have the exact same story, right? Mm-hmm. But, but there are definitely terrible moments in my life that are like, would I do it again? Is those questions have come up and it's like, dang. Um, and I, the only way, I mean, I'm legitimately not sure my answer in some of these. Sure. That's like, so if the only way that I could get this learning and maturity and unlock the new stuff that came out of it, if the sure. only way was through that crisis, I guess so. I'm still not certain. Right. right. But I'm also like, but maybe I would just wish there could be another way to learn that. Right. Right. Maybe it would dip, right. but I don't quite like hit the bottom and drag my face on the right. rock before coming up. Right. Like, can I just, yeah. So but, I, I'm with you, man. Not fun, not enjoyable. I, if there is another way, take it. But on the other hand, I'm like who you are and the life I've seen you live since then is, yeah. it's phenomenal, man. Well, and it's a gift. I mean, it, you know, as much as, um, I did not enjoy that time and my family did not enjoy that time. Right, I mean, right. that, that that probably has ended up being one of the larger gifts of my life is that wow. time really kind of made me reconsider things and helped me, I think, come more into a, I, I think, I think it was the shedding. It gets back to the words you said. It was a shedding of the desire to be right. So I'm not saying this to be like, ho, 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 look at me. I mean, you and I both read somewhere between a hundred to 200 books a year. Yeah. Um, I would say that my perspective on a lot of things is far more informed than many people. And I would say also, in some ways, there are specialists who are clearly way more intelligent on certain topics than me. However, I would say I'm pretty knowledgeable about theirs. And I've read much more of other ancillary topics. Mm. So while I may not have the subject matter expertise, I would argue that the overall knowledge tends to have inroads to some of those things. Yeah, so they, they, technically they feed off still, each other, inform each other, enhance each other. Right. It's not just random variety. There's really cross, that's right. uh, triangulation, right? right. Cross pollinization and triangulation. You and so in that it's one of those things where I would say that I have the ability to say I could be very right about a lot of stuff. And I could go debate and all that thing. I just don't have the desire to be right anymore. Like I don't pursue that as a goal. Like pursuing is right is is almost to some extent a fool's task. Because especially, and this is the other thing that I would say that you know I think we've talked about before. But the the more you learn 
it is a humbling experience because the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. And you would say, well, that's very counterintuitive. How does that work? And it's like, okay, I read a book on artificial intelligence or, you know, Bostrom Superintelligence, great book on artificial intelligence. But then as you read that, you're like, oh, wow. Well, now I need to read five more of the source texts of this. And then you read those five books. And then there's like, oh, wait, each of those has five. And then even though you have read probably more than 99.9% of people in the world about the topic, you're like, uh, I really know very little. My, my knowledge is wafer thin. But it just turns out that wafer thin is puts you in a very elite class. So I think yeah, it's no, it, there's a there's a saying in this in um, kind of a corporate psychology, you know, business change stuff that I do. It's actually called the Dunning Kruger Kruger effect because named after two guys, last names Dunning and Kruger. And so the yeah, Dunning Kruger yeah. effect is they mapped two things: how confident are you that you're good at a particular skill, Scott, and Scott. then they mapped. How good Scott, you are actually at the skill. Scott, I just heard about that effect. Let me tell you all about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the reason we're laughing is because Jonathan is modeling one of the genius insights out of this. And that is the people who were the most confident that they were good at a skill were the people who were the least good at the skill. Yes. The or had just started doing the skill. What say that again? Or the people who just started doing the skill yeah, and they yeah, think they've what, got it figured out. That's right. They're they're brand new and at least skilled, like the ones who and, and they had they did fields where you could objectively kind of get a gauge, like ah, you know, Jonathan's an eight out of ten, Scott's a two out of ten. And then you ask how good you think you are and how much there's left to learn and your confidence in your ability. And Jonathan will be like, I mean 50 50. I'm just figuring it out. And me who just gets started is like. I pretty much have this thing licked. I, Jonathan, <laughs> if you need help, come, uh, yeah. come here. I'll help you out, buddy. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's like, dude, he is measurably 4X your ability, and you're pretty sure you can mentor him. That, that is a human bias. Yeah. Because when you don't know much, you don't know enough to know what's possible. That's right. Right? If you're a casual player of a game, you're like, I pretty much figured out the game. And then you figure out the pros are like, no, I've memorized all of the patterns I have patterns of patterns. I've got the percentage differences. I know which Jonathan 76% of the time prefers this pattern. Like, wait, wait I didn't even know there were patterns. And, and that out. person, and that person that has memorized all that stuff would probably say, and I have so much yet to learn. Yeah. Like yeah. that's and I know enough to know I only know two percent of the global that's patterns right. that are in the world. That's right. And this other guy's like, no, I pretty much have my winning pattern. I'm an expert because he knows one pattern, right? That's right. Like, let's think about chess, right? Like I know my opening, I win, I got this. Like, yeah, there's a lot more here. So, right. okay, so, so fascinating, but I can validate that. That is both in my journey and even tested in social mm -hmm. scientists to say, yeah, the Dunning-Kruger effect. The guys who are the most sure they can school you are almost certainly the ones we're like, okay. Is that, right. that old poker saying, right? They talk about like, who's the, who's the, the sucker at the table. The fish. Who's the, the fish. fish. That's right. The fish. And the saying is, you know, the fish is the one everybody's going to suck the money. The sharks eat the fish, right? right? They say, if you don't know who the fish is at the table, you're the fish. You're the fish. Exactly. <laughs> so if, if you think this is the Dunning-Kruger version of this, right? If, if you're pretty sure that you're, uh, you're the smartest one there and you don't know who's the idiot who's overconfident, yeah, you're the idiot who's that's overconfident. Right. That's right. So. <laughs> so, so then, so that's kind of the whole context. But now let me take it into like, so how do I, how has that caused me to 
execute my life differently and how I actually collect yeah. all this learning. Yeah, yeah. So, so with that, I mean, I think that, and ironically, just as a brief aside, because you talked about my existential crisis, I don't talk about the whole origin story that much. But I found that like I was really deep into existential crisis. One of the warning signs, the canary in the coal mine, is I stopped reading. Like that now is actually one of the chief. If I have to measure any measure of how in a bad way I am, if I've stopped reading, that means that something is severely off. Mm. And so, and so that was there. But I would say most of this is post existential crisis. So you know, growing up as I was in college or whatever, I would always have books. I'd read books. I'd highlight. I'd underline. Yeah. And really, kind and you, of like was, we're talking. Because I want to get into tactics, like the yeah. physical carry physical of, books, you know, printed you know, paper with you. Having a having a ruler in there, you know, for a while you get the ruler and you get the <laughs> special kind of pen that underlines really well. Oh, you were you a know. book nerd. You were that guy. You get into that. But but then as I, you know, and then, you know, early in your life, thank God for Kindles and digital books. Because, uh, you know, when I was young, I had like, you know, whole probably... Whenever I moved, I had 15 boxes oh, full my, of books. My wife has has still got some concerns. I have boxes in a storage unit that she's pretty sure we don't need. That's right. This is a whole other issue. I'm not willing to chuck these things. That's right. That's right. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a whole other therapy session. And so what came out of it is this neat time. And I don't have any time to go into it a lot. But ironically, the other thing is I don't have a very good short-term memory. So I have a pretty decent long-term memory, but my ability to retrieve stuff from long-term memory isn't all that great. And so I can remember themes pretty well. So, and I think in some ways that really kind of correlates to that scout mindset. Like I can look at my map and I can be like, oh yes, I have a good layout of existence. I understand existence well. But if you're like, well, why do you believe that? I think I always struggled with, well, man, how did I get to that? to that point. And so the conclusions you landed on are still there, but all the, the evidences that got you there kind of fade is what I'm hearing. So it's, so especially in the last couple of years, I think I've gotten much more disciplined in my learning process. So part of it is just reading a lot. Like you have to read a lot. uh, You know, Scott, can can we just talk and take a minute on this? Like I, we blew past this ridiculous number, 100 to 200 books a year. some people are like, I wish I had time for that, right? I've got a job. I got a family. I, I actually want to do something else with my life. So That's right. clearly this Jonathan guy just must sit around and read books for five to seven hours a day. I, how functionally do you get right. through that many books and still have the full life I know you have? That's right. So number one, I would say there was a very critical thing that a friend of mine said to me once. He was out living this very full life and he was... He had run a D and D game, two D and D games for twenty years. And dragons role playing, right? Don't you? Yeah, he yeah. Had, he had he had been the person writing the story for twenty years for two separate groups of friends, wow. and he was the leader of that. He hiked mountain ranges all over the United States. He was very successful. He played a ton of video games. He was learning how to blacksmith swords. And I talked to him. And I'm like, how do you do all of this? And he said to me, and it stuck with me forever. He's like, Jonathan, life is elastic. You just have to keep jamming things in and you'd be surprised how much your life will actually expand to meet your passions and your curiosity. That can clearly be done to poor extremes and I'm not advocating work all. Like a good rubber band, it it will snap at some point, but it's not as rigid as you think it is. It's so not. Say this again. Life is elastic. Life is elastic. That is the key principle that that I think I have 
really taken from that friend and then started to experiment with that to say like, well, could I do more? And then it supported it. And you're like, could I do more? And it expanded. And then could I, and it's so how really- How many hours a day do you read? So let's get to, let's get to my process because okay, I good, don't good. read all that much. So my process now, um, a lot of it is enabled by technology. So what I do now is there's three kind of categories of books. Well, really only two categories of books. There is the kind of book, well, there's three categories. There's audiobooks. So I do quite a bit of audiobooks. I'm also a frugal guy. I like to save money. So I am a big fan of local libraries. And local libraries, if you use an app called Libby, L-I-B-B-Y, Libby, you can get audiobooks downloaded from your local library. Check them out. Check them out. It's great. Nice. So what I'll do is I will generally have all of the books that I want to read. And all of my audiobooks tend to either be fiction or tend to be books that I am trying out a new author. Or I found that that author is interesting. I'm going to glean one or two big macro ideas from it, but I don't need to be in the details. So when those, I listen to those on audiobook, um, you know, pre uh, work from home, I would spend a lot of time in the car, you know, 30 minutes to 45 minutes in the car every morning. You that spend would... your commute listening to an audiobook. Yep. And the other thing that Scott actually was helpful enough to say, like it really is incredible to uh, listen to books at two to 2.5 to three speed, three X. Yeah, so okay, so let's, three... let's just pause here because speaking of life is elastic. I've not used this wording for it before, but I'll, I'll piggyback. We would say the brain is elastic. Here. Yes. And I read incredible. an article eight years ago or something like this that said, hey, we can listen faster than most people can talk. That's right. Physical motions are harder, but but our brain can't. And I was like, huh. And so it, I was into podcasts back then. And I just, audiobooks, I don't know, were a big thing. Or if they were, I wasn't into them. Right. And it, but the podcast player had the option to go to 1.5 times speed. Yep. And I could understand it. And I had a 50% improvement. And honestly, right. I actually enjoyed it a little bit more. That's so right. They're slow. So I the the over the years, playing with that, like inching, 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 it is way possible to do bigger and more than think. And the audio, you know, it took me six years or so or roughly right. to That's steadily right. train my brain. Like, cause I, I mean, they said, to be honest, this is not my natural first five to seven minutes. I'm not an auditory learner. Visual would be my natural jam. Sure. Five to seven minutes into it, I'd be zoned out. And I'm like, I can't even like, uh, what did he say? I haven't been listening for the last five minutes and I'd have to back up. But over time I was able to listen to the whole commute and then the whole commute fast and I'd go faster and I would wear out and have to slow back down. It was kind of zigzag until eventually one day I never slowed down. Like one five was great. And and interesting things like accents can throw it off a little yeah, bit. Like yeah, some so auto, exactly. Some, yeah, which I love accents. You got to bring it down. I, in real life, like uh, I love like the, many of my close friends are from South Africa. It's a great accent. But when that reader starts, um, Nelson Mandela's book, I had to slow him down and be like, okay, let me get back. But having said that, over time, I mean, just to, to validate Jonathan, it took me about six years or so to get to 3x speed, mm-hmm. three times yep. speed. And then, uh, and I stayed there for a while. And then, I don't know, a year ago, the app I used got all the way up to 3.5 times speed. And I had to, to train again and push, yep. push, push. And it took me about nine months and I got myself up to 3.5 times speed. Uh, and that's currently what I listen to books. And so, and so that, it's and the awesome. beautiful and beautiful thing about that is not only does it allow you to, con- so the lesson of this, of how I consume audiobooks is how do you do 100 to 150 to 200 books? It's like, well, 
I can get through a normal book that I would pull off the you know shelf that is an audiobook, let's say is a six hour audiobook, I can consume that in two hours. Mm. I mean, that's one day commute where you're like, well, you're reading a book a day. It's like some days do more. So it's one of those things where that's a big part of it. The other thing that's amazing about this too, this is to advocate and to cheer on people who would consider this. Scott said something. I think it also teaches you to pay attention. So if you're listening to an audiobook at normal speed, then it's pretty easy to be like, okay, I'm catching it. I can miss every, you know, five or six or six word and still get the gist of the conversation or what's going on in the narrative. When you're at 2.5 speed, like you have to be locked in. Like you are attention-wise, yeah. like because if you don't pay attention for a minute, you've missed two pages. And okay. so then you have to like yes. go back and miss two pages. And I find that I enjoy it more that's right because i'm immersed in the experience rather than uh it's this thing in the background and i had another thought and then i come back to it because the book was slow in that moment it's just steady flow of thoughts that are keeping me really interested like when i'm when i'm doing audiobooks i feel physically locked in like Mm -hmm. i put the stuff in it's like click okay now it's going to come at me and i'm able to do it but it's not something you can do half-mindedly so well okay so i I do. I I also don't want to say this because I don't want to sound uh, you know braggy or contradict what you're saying. I do enjoy it more, but I will tell you I've been doing it long enough, and maybe it's my brain. I do have a kind of unique wiring on some of the speed stuff, but I mean, I at this point three five speed for me is I do laundry. Um, yeah. Oh, I, driving. Yeah, that's what's great. I, driving. I there's really, some. Not, not, like I don't. I don't. Uh, you know, answer email. That's that's, that's right. not an option. That's right. But like physical tasks that don't require me to have strategic thought that I love doing those in the background while I'm spinning a book at three, five. And what I would argue is you can do non prefrontal cortex tasks. It's almost a brain subdivision. If you can do things like that are maybe motor cortex kind of stuff, right? Motor cortex stuff engaged. Yeah. And I would also say like that actually probably is better than if you were just sitting on a chair listening to that, it actually helps doing something that's more muscle memory, whether it's doing washing clothes, driving a car, because then your prefrontal cortex doesn't need to be as engaged. I'm probably going to get in trouble, like in my driver's license <laughs> or something. Like, I need to do something. I need to do up. something. I need to do something where I don't need to think or pay any attention, like driving the car. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's not so great. Yeah, right. Hey, that explains some of Atlanta traffic, right? Exactly. Oh, that's why it's so bad. Jonathan and Scott are listening to audiobooks. Maybe, maybe more people are listening to audiobooks than we think. But so, so in the end, that's how I consume a lot. That accounts for a lot of it. But I do have a definite process in the sense that I do audiobooks for fiction and I do audiobooks for new authors. And I mean, I just finished a book last night on audio. That as soon as I did it, I went out and I bought the book because I'm like, there's enough insight and value for me to read that now on Kindle or... So my three levels is audio, reading it on Kindle to extract the the actual details that I'll talk about in a minute, how I use. And then there's ones that like, I've gone back to actually owning some books on the old shelf. Physical printed paper again. So you can use all three. Yeah, okay. So listen, we don't... I would say this. Let's have another episode where we talk about what you do with all this information. Because that, just because you have concepts doesn't mean it's, learning is not concepts. Learning is applied concepts, right? That's right. So we'll come back to that. I just want to, like, let's wrap this section up. Give me a rough percentage 
let's say you get a hundred books in a year, mm-hmm. how many of them will go to through audio? How many of them will be on your Kindle and how many of them will be a printed book that you hold? I would say probably it breaks down to 70, probably 70, 25, five. 70, 70 audio, audio 25% Kindle and 5% that would stay on my shelf. Okay. And I, and I will regularly get rid of the, the five, the 5% is like a cultivated thing that has to be cold at times. Mm. Because as I learn more, some of my texts, which used to be seminal texts in my life, are now just simply not seminal anymore. Because mm. that part of my map has been more beautifully illustrated, more in-depth discovered. And you know I might keep one or two for nostalgic sake. But for the most part, it's like, okay, that book was a neat book in the past, but that book can be called and moved on. So the books that I own and that I keep are really more for almost like shelf value. Yeah, that's funny. It's um, it's almost visual cues and, and tangible right. mementos of what, what have been big ideas. What I love about this, okay, because you started early by talking about some of these books you reread them and they get deeper, better, richer. Like, how did I miss that? Right. And some of these books, you come back to them and go, they're actually not as good as I thought they were. And it's interesting to see how that splits, right? Some things rise to the top and some things they spiked in a moment, but they can't sustain it over the mm-hmm. years. And so, dude, it might be a fun whole conversation for us to have. Which are the books that just get better decade after decade versus which ones did we used to think were great that we now no longer do like that. That could be fascinating. And again, as I said, we need to get back to like, what the smack do you do with all these ideas? Right. Okay. But, but I'll wrap all this. And, up. And, I, and I will say that topic alone, that topic alone has been the past two years. The, the what you do with the ideas. The what you do with the ideas. I was doing a very, uh, yeoman's poor person's mm-hmm. job of collecting the data and then putting it to use. In the past two years, there's been a transformative next step that I basically will talk to anyone about. So I'm excited to talk to you, you know, to do another session with you because... How's that for a teaser? Uh, it's I guess great. I have to bring you back. This will be awesome. There Thanks, you go. Buddy. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Upgrade Engines with Scott Wozniak. If you want to hear more of my thoughts on life and leadership, you might want to sign up for my weekly newsletter at www.scottwozniak.com slash upgrade. That's S-C-O-T-T-W-O-Z-N-I-A-K.com slash upgrade. You'll get a cool quote, a deep thought, and a recommendation for something that I use and love. It's not long and it should be fun. The theme is similar to this podcast, but it's not the same content. And if you're a leader who wants to build a legendary brand, You can check out my company's website to learn how we can help at www.swazconsulting.com. That's S-W-O-Z consulting.com. Change really is possible. Dreams can come true. It may take a while, but you can upgrade anything if you build the right engine.